Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. Uh, I am Paul Neifer, your host, and today we are joined by John Newton. He is the chief economist for the Senate Ag Committee. He is not a senator. I want to get that out right away. He's the chief economist. Uh, John, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Paul. You forgot to mention the chief economist for the Republican side of the Ag Committee. Well, well, I guess I, I I won't show my bias, but uh, you know that's uh, that. Well, I probably should say that that's probably would be my side too. So <laughs> I got to be careful, you know. So, uh, but uh, uh, how's the weather back in D.C.? It, it's it's pretty nice. We we got a nice weekend ahead of us. It's it's uh, we got a little bit of rain yesterday, but it looks like this weekend's going to be uh, really nice. And you caught me at a good time because. I'm headed to the beach uh, next week with with our family during the recess period. Well, good, good. Actually, out in our area, um, you know, June 21st, I think, was the official first day of summer. And I feel like that's the first day we actually hit 80, maybe 85 degrees. We've been cold and wet all all, all spring, and which is good for the crops. But uh, now we need some heat to, to let the crops go ahead and ripen up. So, uh, well, John, why don't we go ahead and start with your background? Uh, Maybe where you grew up, went to school, and 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 then we'll dive into uh, sort of the committee side. Sure. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a Kentucky native. My family uh, was from just right outside of Louisville, near Fort Knox. My my grandmother uh, grew up on a, a small tobacco and, and cattle farm, and uh, I, I grew up in Louisville. Uh, went to the University of Louisville, studied economics, uh, worked for USDA. You know, right out of college, I was I uh, had the the job of auditing milk plants. So I would go in and make sure that uh, if they said they made this much ice cream, I, I had to check all the batch records to make sure they made that much ice cream. Uh, but but really had a fondness for, for economics and agriculture and uh, went to Ohio State, the Ohio State University, and got my master's degree in ag econ. And uh, then Ohio State said, hey, why don't you uh, stick around and, and do a PhD? And of course, my, my family said, well, why don't you... Uh, actually go start a family instead. Uh, but I, I stuck around at Ohio State, uh, studied, you know, foreign policy, uh, PhD in applied economics, uh, you know, had the, had the opportunity to uh, do a research detail with uh, Chairwoman Stabenow on the Ag Committee back in 2013. And it was kind of at that point in time, I knew that if I ever had an opportunity to work on the Ag Committee in service to agriculture, that, that I would I would jump at that opportunity. Uh, but but after working for Chairwoman Stabenow, I was a faculty member at University of Illinois uh, on the farm doc team. I learned a whole lot from your listeners probably know you know Scott Irwin, Daryl Good, yep. Yep. those folks. Uh, I, you know I worked under them for a while, and then came back to Washington D.C. wanted to work on policy. Ultimately, found myself at Farm Bureau where I was their chief economist uh, for a, for a number of years, and then uh, ranking member Bozeman reached out about a year ago and and was looking for a strong economist to come and, uh, you know, help us get through this next farm bill. And and I jumped at the opportunity. So I've been here a year. It's it's fantastic work. Uh, a lot like Farm Bureau, I get to engage with producers. We we take visitors all the time uh, in, produ- in, in person. So it's just a, 
it's a, a very rewarding opportunity to to work on the ag committee it certainly is a privilege well that sounds sounds good and you know you mentioned ohio state they just trademarked the the word the and so now they are officially the ohio state university you know I, even though i did my phd and and masters uh there in columbus i'm actually a huge huge louisville cardinals fan uh, you know I, I bleed red yeah. You know, basketball, college football, uh, it's a huge passion of mine. And we just, I think we're going to have one of the top recruiting classes in football next year. Uh, our friends down in Texas aren't going to be too happy. We just landed the number one running back. So a uh, huge, huge football and basketball fan. Well, good. Of course, I, I'm a University of Washington Husky, so uh, uh, I don't think we're going to be number one in anything unless it's, uh, well, maybe on the women's side, uh, we have a good softball team. We've had a good volleyball team. Uh, I, I know we made it. I don't, I, did the women's softball make it? I don't think they made it to the World Series, but they made it to the Super Regional. And then the volleyball, I think they either lost in the semis or the finals or something. So, but over on the men's side, we're not so good. So, but uh, but that's okay. Well, I think that, you know, and, and it's you know you think about what yesterday or this week was you know Title Nine. I mean, that's why those women's sports in Washington are so good. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so the committee, you've been there about a year, but I think for some of our listeners out there, or maybe a lot of the listeners, um, when they hear the Ag Committee, even on the House side or the Senate side, I know I know you're similar, but. What what is the role of the committee? How does it work? Let's just go some of the, through some of that process. Sure. So we're you know we have we're the agriculture, nutrition, and forestry committee. So we we engage on all of those issues. The stakeholders, you know, on the nutrition side, on the forestry side, and and on the agriculture side, whether it's uh, crop insurance, conservation, uh, Title One programs, ag research, dairy programs, livestock. Uh, you know, we engage with all of those stakeholders and, and we have oversight uh, over USDA. So we engage with the department, uh, you know, quite a bit to make sure that, you know, the, the programs and that, that we authorize that, that they're implementing them uh, the way that, that we would like to see them implemented. Uh, so we work with the department uh, very closely. I know that we had Secretary Vilsack up to have a, uh, you know, we had a hearing with him a, a few weeks ago. We've had two. Uh, farm bill hearings over the last week and that's one of our you know our cornerstone pieces of legislation as we work on the farm bill and this next farm bill is up to be reauthorized uh, in, in 2023 so we're we're working on that uh, my boss is ranking member Bozeman from Arkansas uh, the chairwoman uh, in the majority of the ag committee is uh, chairwoman Stabenow from Michigan uh, and and we have senators from all over the country with Patrick Leahy Mitch McConnell uh, John Hoven, Sherrod Brown, Klobuchar, Joni Ernst, Grassley, Michael Bennett, Gillibrand, Roger Marshall. A lot of ag states are, are you know, yeah. very well represented on the ag committee. I was going to say, as you're naming those, I'm going, okay, that's an ag state, ag state, ag state, ag state. So, <laughs> but, uh, and, and how many total members uh, from the Senate are on the actual committee? Well, here on the Republican side, you know, we, we've got one, two, three, let me count them off. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So 22 uh, members of, of the Ag Committee. Um, you know, on the House side, they've got a whole lot more members and a whole lot more members of the Ag Committee. But, you know, we really do try to work in a, in a bipartisan way here. 
uh, on the Senate side. Agriculture is, is not a partisan issue. Every state's got yep. ag. So yep. you know, every senator in the country has an ag interest or a nutrition interest or a forestry interest. So we really do try to work together on, on issues. And then on the staff side, um, th those are not elected staff. I mean, the staff is the staff. Now they'll come and they'll go, but how many, like on, let's say just on the ag side, not the forestry side, not the nutrition side, but on what I would call the more the pure ag, the crop insurance, title one, the uh, conservation programs and so on. How many staff people would, would typically be in that part of the committee? You know, that's a that's a great question. You know, we we our team is about uh, 14 strong and we, we do have policy staff uh, that are leads on various issues. So we you know, we have a lead uh, staffer, Paul, that, that you met, Carly, who, who covers Title One and, and crop insurance. We've got a lead staffer on you know, conservation and climate. We have a lead staffer on uh, livestock. We've got a lead staffer on ag trade and dairy and ag research. Uh, so, you know, all of these policy experts work on, you know, those particular issues. As chief economist, I, you know, I'm almost like an umbrella over yep. all of our policy staff. I try to help them on the issues. Uh, then we have a, a policy director that's going to be managing the policy staff. And then we have a staff director that manages the whole committee. Uh, we've got, you know, ag LAs, uh, we have, L, you know, LCs, we have, comms director, we've got general counsel, uh, we have a detail uh, in our legal shop from USDA, uh, but we really do work, uh, you know, very cohesively as a team on all the issues. So let's, let's again, let's take the, the Title I uh, staff person that's in sort of in charge of that. That isn't necessarily a Republican or a Democrat, that's just a person that's there to help the committee understand Title One, or understand those programs, or is there one for the Republican side and one for the Democrat side? I, I was just curious how that works. No, that's a that's a great question. I probably should have clarified that. So there's a Republican staff, there's a Democratic staff, and then on the House side, there's a Republican staff and a Democrat staff. So you know, when I was at Farm Bureau, we would always talk about well, where are the four corners on the issue? So mm -hmm. uh, you know, House, Senate, Republican, Democrat touch all four corners, you work with all four corners. So all of our policy staff have, you know, a counterpart on the Democratic side uh, that we work with. Uh, you know, me, I'm kind of lonely. I'm the only uh, chief economist on, you know, on any of the four corners. Uh, okay. But, but our, our Title I person does have a counterpart uh, on Chairwoman Stabenow's team, Kyle Varner, uh, which you, you probably know Kyle. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a farm kid from Michigan. I think his family uh, raise turkeys. He's a, he's a really good guy too. <laughs> now, so so like you say, starting in 2023, and it may go into 2024, depending you know what happens in the in the elections this fall. But the uh, so you're working on the farm bill. The House sort of comes up with their plan. The Senate comes up with their plan, and then at that point, you sort of come into a conference committee. Is that where? Like you say, the four pillars get together and sort of hash out, okay, here's what we both agree on, or just just sort of go through that process a little bit too. Well, I'll, I'll start with kind of what we're doing on the on the Senate Ag Committee. And uh, Senator Bozeman and, and Chairwoman Stabenow, you know, sat down for breakfast, uh, you know, several months ago and, and, and agreed to start having some field hearings to really start getting that stakeholder input. 
uh, you know, like I said earlier, we're meeting with stakeholders, you know, in the office here in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, on a, on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, but Chairwoman Stabenow and Ranking Member Bozeman, they agreed that they want to collect a body of evidence, you know, go title by title through the Farm Bill, uh, so that, like you said, no matter who's holding the gavel after November, we, we've got a solid body of work to start that 2023 Farm Bill process you know, this fall and, and in the next year, really crafting uh, what we what we think the, the farm bill should look like. And that's all driven by, you know, what we're hearing from the grassroots, the stakeholders that uh, tell us what's working, what's not working. Uh, the House is going to do something very similar. Uh, you know, we'll work. You know, like I said earlier, Chair, uh, Chairwoman Stabenow, Rick Member Bozeman, they want to have, uh, you know, a bipartisan farm bill. Bozeman says all the time, uh, you know, Senator Roberts got 87 votes last farm bill. That was a record number of you know votes in support of the farm bill. He wants to beat that. He wants to get 90. <laughs> and if, if we get 90, that means we've got a bipartisan farm bill. That, that means yeah. we're taking care of priorities on nutrition, crop insurance, Title I, conservation, forestry. The list goes on and on. And so, uh, you know, after we finish ours, they finish theirs, we'll you know, conference it together. And, and hopefully it looks you know, very similar uh, that, yeah. that uh, you know, if they're listening to stakeholders and we have the same stakeholders really, yeah. uh, yep. you know, in the, in the House and Senate, because we all are in service to, to agriculture, nutrition, forestry. Yeah, and, and you know, certainly the, the, the rhythm of farm bills is, you know, typically every five years plus or minus we get a farm bill, but, you know, we've sort of had this history over the last three or four years of, ad hoc programs, you know, MFP and then CFAP, and now we got ERP, and we have all these programs that sort of arise due to various reasons throughout the cycle of the farm bill. Do you see that trend continuing, or do you hope that it sort of backs off, or, or uh, as much as you can share, what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, you, you mentioned all, all of these various ad hoc programs that we've had over the last few years. And, and I think when you look at the, the situation that we have with China, uh, you know, losing your biggest, you know, export market overnight, effectively, you had to step in and, and help these producers that had, had invested, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to raise a crop or care for livestock, and all of a sudden you lose a market. So we, you know, that was a needed program. Uh, then you have a pandemic and, yeah. you know, Instead of losing your biggest export market, uh, you lose the restaurant channel. You lose, you know, you lose all of those consumers because of, you know, how our supply chain was coordinated. So you had to come in uh, and and help through through the uh, you know the CFAT program, uh, and then you have all these natural disasters. You know, we've done WIP, WIP Plus, and now ERP. You know, to help people recover from, you know, hurricanes, wildfires, smoke damage. Uh, hurt, you know, tornadoes in Kentucky when you're not supposed to have tornadoes, all yep. of those things uh, we, we've, we've had to come in and, and help. And, and that's, you know, I think from the Farm Bill perspective, looking at, at just that one in particular, the, the natural disasters, you know, we've talked a lot about how do we build a program that, A, you know, doesn't discourage the purchase of crop insurance, because that's a key safety net. Yep. But how do we have something that producers know uh, you know, when there's a catastrophic natural disaster, they're not waiting several years uh, to get assistance. USDA can deploy it immediately. Uh, you know, I think the challenge, and, and I'm sure your listeners are very well aware of, 
you know, Congressional Budget Office, scoring, baselines, you know, how do you pay for a standing disaster program? And I think that's something that, that we're st still trying to figure out. Uh, when you score a ERP over 10 years, you know, that's $50 billion. Yeah. And yeah. Where, where are we going to find that? And especially at a time with, you know, historic inflation, you know, half the population hasn't seen uh, inflation this high in their lifetime. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of discussions about whether we're spending too much and overheating the economy. So, you know, those are all things to take into consideration as we get to this next farm bill as it relates to, you know, spending and, and farm programs. But I think I think we can do something. I think we can get creative, uh, whether it's on the crop insurance side, making sure people, uh, you know, have the coverage they need. You know, you can get up to 95% coverage in some parts of the country uh, when you when you use the enhanced coverage option, yeah. you know that's yeah. that's pretty good coverage, uh, but but we need to make sure people know about it and are using it. Uh, hurricane coverage that we that we authorized last farm bill has has been you know widely utilized, uh, you know along the coast. And and so what are the tools that producers need to uh, recover from these natural disasters? And, and we'll be reviewing that. Well, and, you know, and and. Just recently, in the last few years, you know, I've been buying farmland myself. Uh, you know, my my farm boy roots are coming back, and uh, and uh, you know, I want some dirt. Uh, you know, as I get closer to retirement age, and uh, you know, in my Iowa and my Missouri um, farmland that I have, I took advantage of the um, you know margin protection program that's available for certain states, certain counties, and I was able actually to buy it up to I think 105 percent. So uh, and, and, you know, that margin protection program is based on the price, which I think everybody with crop insurance is used to the price, but there's also a, a input component. And, you know, when I bought it last fall, inputs were starting to go up, but not, you know, diesel was still reasonably priced, you know, fertilizer hadn't. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious. I think I'm in the money. The only the only thing that I have with it or don't understand quite is is sort of the black box of how they arrive at the input side. So uh, either I'll be pleasantly surprised or I'll be unpleasantly surprised this fall when I see if I have a claim. Well, and in, in, in I think producers, you know, that's the other thing that we've heard a lot about is, you know, do we need some sort of margin style program? You know, we have the margin protection on the crop insurance side, uh, which works very well. Uh, you know, but it's based on that harvest price. I think some farmers are really concerned right now about, you know, what happens if you know, all this money that it, it took me to raise a corn crop, what happens after harvest if the corn price collapses and you're, yeah. you know, you're trying to market a crop at a much lower price than than what you anticipated. And so we, we've had some people, um, I think Dr. Outlaw was testifying in the house recently and suggested uh, that we needed to look at some sort of a Title One program on the margin side, uh, but again, these are all ideas that that we hear from the grassroots. Uh, I think these are things that farmers need to think about, uh, work through their organizations, whether it's the Farm Bureau or the Corn Growers or uh, you know USA Rice, whoever they're working with, the Cotton Council, to really surface their their policy goals and bring them to us, and, and see, let's see if we can make it work. And that's that's really what we're all about: is listening to our stakeholders to to try to, you know, don't don't fix what's not broken and and look yeah. at things that that maybe can be improved and, and see if we can do that. Well, and certainly, you know, if you look at the dairy, you originally had the margin program that came in with uh, the 2014 bill, wasn't quite exactly 
just because I think of the history before that, you know, you had the really, you know, the 2008 slash nine time period where dairy was, you know, really in dire straits. So they sort of developed program based on that. And then the, the during 14 through 18, it was a little bit different, but they fixed or at least made it better in the 2018 farm bill. And likely in the 2023 farm bill, it's going to be even better, hopefully. So, uh, so I think these things definitely evolve. Uh, I, I know. Go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say, well, the other thing we did for dairy uh, was in, you know, 2018, we were able to get, you know, cotton back in the farm bill, yep. improve the dairy safety net. But we also took off uh, a cap on livestock crop insurance. So before 2018, there's a $20 million cap on uh, the level of federal support that could be provided to livestock insurance products. We took that off. Uh, I was, you know, one of the lead developers of dairy revenue protection, which has been uh, you know, extremely successful, one of the most successful crop insurance products on the livestock side that's ever been developed. And now we're seeing LRP take off on the feeder cattle side, the fat cattle side. Uh, you know, you have LGM that's available on the crop insurance side. So, you know, I think a lot of it is making sure these tools are available to farmers, that they understand how to use them, uh, and, and they really can be part of a, a complete portfolio of risk management tools. And, you know, I, and I guess here's my CPA hat coming um, into the conversation. Um, you know, throughout the history of the farm bills, there's been certain, let's say, certain restrictions that require farmers, let's say, to create additional entities, which adds additional complexity. Now, I'm going to say over the last couple of farm bills, maybe that's been reduced a little bit, but it would be nice to sort of possibly look at the farm operation more of a holistic and say, okay, you know, just because you're an LLC, uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to get one payment limit. If you've got four owners, you're all actively involved in farming. You know, there really should be four payment limits, whether you're a corporation, whatever you're an LLC. Uh, I, I just see so much, uh, what I want to say, extra burdensome, um, you know, extra work that these farmers have to do in order to comply in order to get the maximum amount that they think they're entitled to so you know if we can just and i know in the last farm bill the 2018 farm bill at least on the house side i'm not picking on the senate but at least on the house side there was movement that way and i'd like to see that movement continue because there's just a lot of extra expense out there that farmers incur both in in cost and in energy and in counting time and so on uh, that could be eliminated. So I, I guess that's me being on my high horse a little bit. And that's that's certainly something that we hear, uh, you know, quite a bit. We also hear it from the perspective of, uh, you know, we we just need to look overall. We've got way too many regulations. Um, yeah. Uh, whether it's you know EPA issues or you know the the burdensome process of trying to get you know, conservation dollars and technical assistance on the farm. We hear that uh, quite a bit. And I think that's something that'll be obviously, you know, we're looking at it this next farm bill is how do we uh, reduce the red tape and, and help farmers get access to things they need and, and things they need much quicker. You know, I, I've also heard just so what in the last month or two, there's been some chatter i'm going to use the word chatter about increasing the reference price uh, you know they were talking about increasing some of the loan prices um but again that sort of comes back to the budget base you know the scoring and so on 
do you see that happening where they're going to increase that or maybe if we get more uh, availability of margin protection program, which is really what Title I almost is, is it a little bit, you know, it's uh, not quite a margin program, but maybe you take it out of Title I and move it over into crop insurance. I'm sure you guys are looking at that, but uh, uh, give me your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I think, again, we're, we're in the information gathering phase right now, and, and you know, we're listening to stakeholders, and, and we've certainly heard, uh, you know, requests for changes to the reference prices or changes to the loan rates or uh, an update to base acres on the dairy side, an update to their production history. Uh, and so again, we're, we're collecting all this information. Uh, you know, we, we don't know yet, uh, you know, who's going to be uh, chairman or chairwoman of the ag committee, you know, next year, we don't know who's going to uh, be in charge of the budget committee. So we, we don't know uh, if we're going to have more resources, uh, fewer resources or, you know, a flat baseline. So I think it's a little too early to tell. Uh, but what I can tell you is, you know, for the Republican conference in general, uh, there's there's a, a sense of urgency that we need to get spending under control. We need to address inflation and we need to get the economy uh, back up and running. I mean, you know, a year and a half ago, we had, uh, you know, or two years ago before the pandemic, we had one of the best economies. Yeah. You know, yep. in the world and, and even yep. post pandemic. I mean, we came out of, you know, the, the stock market was booming. Everything was booming. Yeah. But now we're dealing with this inflationary pressure. And, and, and I think folks want to get it under control. We've got the situation in Russia and Ukraine and, and global food security issues. I mean, all of these things are, are interrelated and, and will be part of uh, the conversation as we head into this next farm bill. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, uh, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsored message now, and then I'm gonna, when we come back, I'm actually going to start talking some economics with you. Since you're an economist, let's talk some economics. So, got it. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with uh, John Newton, the chief economist on the Republican side of the Senate uh, Ag Committee. So, uh, uh, John, I, I guess you, we had just you just started to touch on it right before we had the break. Um, but what's your thoughts on inflation? I mean, as you mentioned, probably two-thirds, probably, I'm guessing maybe two-thirds of America wasn't around the last time we had inflation that was this high. I certainly was old enough to be around during that time period, although I was probably more high school slash college. So it didn't, you know, it directly, it certainly affected my parents more than it affected me, but I still remember that time period. Well, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, half, the, the average age in the United States is, I think, 38 
years old, which un- unfortunately, Paul, I'm, I'm on the other side of that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're on the better well, side. You're on the better side. Yeah, yeah we could say that. Uh, but, you know, in, inflation's the highest in 41 years, uh, you know, across the board, energy inflation, food prices, you know, housing costs. I mean, you name it, inflation is, is out of control. Uh, and, and I think, you know, part of the problem is we had, you know, we've got two job openings in the economy for every unemployed person. Uh, we've got, you know, transportation, trucking issues, uh, you know, sh- shipping issues, you know, countries, China shutting down their economy, uh, you know, to deal with with the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we had a lot of stimulus, you know, when you think about, you know, some families in the U.S. got, you know, $10,000 stimulus checks during the pandemic. We had $800 billion in paycheck you know, uh, protection program money that was floating around there. So, you know, we increased the money supply dr- dramatically. Uh, that that you know led to the inflationary pressure that we're seeing now. And now the Fed they're they're having to raise rates. They want to slow down um, the economy a little bit, keep it from you know overheating the way it is, uh, create some incentives to save money uh, versus spend it. Uh, but but there's real concern that. We we end up putting ourselves in a recession. I think even uh, you know Mr. Summers, who uh, was an advisor to President Obama, is is pointing out these recessionary concerns and that they're very real uh, right now. So that's you know that's something that uh, you know Congress is is paying close attention to. And, and listen, inflation, food prices, gas prices, uh, you got to fill up your car to get to work. Uh, yeah. You got to put food on your table, and this hits the low income. Portion yep. of our population a whole lot harder. You know, the average family spending thousands of dollars more a year uh, to to deal with higher costs, and so uh, it's something voters certainly won't won't forget. You know, when they you know get to November, and and listen, everybody sees it every day, whether you're filling your tank or not. Uh, you drive by the gas station, you see the price of gasoline, and that has a psychological effect on you too. Yeah, yeah, I'm driving into work this morning, and I'm an early bird. I left the house about uh, 4:30, and uh, uh, the sign is uh, 5.29 for regular gasoline, 6.39 for diesel. So uh, that, and that's pretty much what we've been for the last month, month and a half. So uh, uh, you know, it, it, and and I typically, I know the other day I filled up with 89 instead of 87, and I had 10. Point, I still remember this, 10.117 gallons. And my total price was fifty-eight dollars exactly. I still remember that. So, uh, uh, you know, that that definitely hits you right uh, in the pocketbook fairly quickly. It it, it certainly does. Uh, you know, I, my wife and I, our family, we've got a uh, let's just say it's close to a hundred dollars to fill the tank, and uh, we're going to fill it several times as we go to the beach next week. Yeah, <laughs> my wife and I, we ended up buying a, a motor home, and uh, I'm not sure that was the wisest decision but it's got a hundred hundred gallon diesel tank and so when i fill that baby up you know it's 650 bucks probably before i'm done if 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 i have to fill it up completely so uh, uh i may not be taking that motor home very far this year so well and and think about our farms you know they're gonna they're gonna need to fill up on a lot of diesel this you know this harvest this year that's gonna be a, a big price tag so yeah yeah again, these small talking- things were yeah yeah, I was talking to a farmer yesterday, and last year at this time, diesel was 260 for for dyed diesel. 
it was 260 and they're paying 520 right now so it's exactly a double you know so uh, yeah it's it, it's going to be definitely uh, hurting the pocketbook for the farmers this year for the, for harvest season I totally yeah. agree. I mean, every producer that we've talked to over the last year, uh, that's one of the first things they talk about is how much their input costs, I mean, in some cases, tripled uh, compared to a year ago. Now, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the perception always is that recessions are bad, and, and I know it definitely affects, affects a lot of people in a negative way, but if we look at more from a macro standpoint, isn't sometimes a recession sort of needed to cleanse out some of the excesses you know i sort of look at like uh, you know not that i'm against it but i look at cryptocurrency i look at the nft i look at the tech companies that uh, you know that were losing lots of money and they were being rewarded for losing lots of monies doesn't the the recession sort of clean that up a little bit well it, it certainly takes the air out of the balloon i mean you, you you've seen what crypto's done you've seen what the stock market's done uh, you've seen what folks' retirement accounts have done. So it, 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 it you know, it is kind of like hitting the reset button again. And, uh, but you know, the the real issue and the concern this hits families. I mean, yeah, people yeah. that maybe were thinking about retiring aren't thinking about retiring now because their retirement accounts uh, maybe have 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 lost a significant percentage. So uh, we have to remember that there are you know real people on the other side of these losses. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh... A friend of mine, he said uh, his 401k plan has turned into a 301k. So that was, uh, uh, I guess, the humor could be taken either way. But uh, I, I guess one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit, too, is especially since it does have a direct impact on ag, is the Russia-Ukraine um, conflict that's going on. Uh, what What's your thoughts on that? It's something that's a, a huge priority uh, for Senator Bozeman. Uh, he's he's very concerned about you know food shortages. You know we saw FAO food price index hit a record high in March. It's still elevated. Uh, so not only are you know food prices, staple commodity prices like wheat, corn at, at levels we haven't seen before, cooking oils uh, at levels we haven't seen before, but the the freight cost to get it where it needs to go. Uh, is a big issue. Uh, you know, even if you you get the ports open in Ukraine, uh, you know, the insurance cost to, to put uh, you know stuff on boats and ship it out of there is going to be astronomical. Who's going to back that? I mean, all of these things. You know, we had a, a you know an interconnected global economy, and 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 Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, has has really disrupted that. Uh, Senator Bozeman's good friends with uh, David Beasley of the World Food Program and says, you know, right now they're having to take food from from hungry people uh, to give it to starving people. Yeah. Their their dollars don't go as far uh, as they used to because they they buy less wheat. They they have you know shipping costs are double. Uh, so it, it's a it's a real concern. I think Senator Bozeman, uh, you know, we led a charge very early on. Uh, and work with USDA to to let farmers get in their ground early on. We knew if you're not re-enrolling in CRP, uh, why make them wait until October before they can get in that ground? Uh, let's mm -hmm. let's let them get in there and uh, get in there early. And that's what Senator Bozeman championed and and USDA, uh, you know, allowed that flexibility on CRP ground, uh, you know, back in in May. So you know, we've been beating the drums mm -hmm. on we need to. 
you know, let producers do what, you know, U.S. producers do what they do best, and that's raise a crop and, and ship it around the world. Yeah, yeah and, and, and certainly, uh, actually, there was, a, uh, a, I think, an opinion in the Wall Street Journal today about a uh, person that grew up on a farm and the yield on their corn was uh, 60 bushels per acre and the same yield, and this was in Minnesota, the same yield last year was 270 bushels per acre over about a 30-year, 40-year period. And you know, and that's what the American farmer, the American companies that are involved in, in in the genetics and so on. That's what we've been able to do, and and we do a very good job of it. We certainly do. I mean, we're we're the best at raising corn, and and you you bring up seed technology. I mean, uh, doing that same thing on the wheat side would 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 go leaps and bounds for yeah, yeah. Uh, increasing the available supply of wheat around the world. Yeah, if if they take that same you know, if, if you are able to get the same increases in wheat yields that you've had in corn and soybean yields, uh, you know, easily, uh, I think wheat could be approaching 300 bushels per acre. I mean, some people can't believe that, but, uh, you know, in our neck of the woods, we'll have we'll have a fair amount of wheat this year uh, because we've had good weather. It'll be approaching 200 bushels. It might not quite get there, but it's definitely going to be approaching it. And that's just, you know, that's just the normal you know that isn't any special uh, seed varieties or anything. That's just the normal seed that uh, that 40 years ago that seed this year could have done probably that. So uh, we can definitely improve those genetics, without a doubt. And and that you know I think that touches on you know another priority of Senator Bozeman is you know science based uh, you know approach to things, whether it's at the EPA or uh, you know conservation climate issues, just you know, trust the science yeah. and let producers do what they do best. Yeah. Well, John, this has been very interesting. Is there anything else that you want to uh, uh, let the listeners know about before you head out on your uh, on your uh, trip to the beach? Yeah, I would I would encourage the listeners to, you know, engage with their elected officials back home. Uh, you know, that's that's who our bosses listen to and want to hear from. That's how you know we get policy done, is by listening to the grassroots and, and hearing their concerns. Uh, come to Washington, D.C. I mean, we're open for business. You can visit the Ag Committee. Uh, we'll be happy to, to hear the concerns of, of farmers and ranchers, you know, foresters, folks that work in nutrition. Uh, you know, that's our job every day, and we need to hear from, from folks across the country on, on what their priorities are. Okay. Well, perfect, John. Thanks uh, for taking time out of your day to uh, spend with our listeners. And again, this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. And I'm Paul Niefer, your host, and we're going to go ahead and sign off.